enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. From the book of the prophet Isaiah, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see half of you this morning. I have a question It was a few months ago. It is simply this. What would you take with you? What would you take with you if the order was not stay at home, but get out of Dodge? Get out of town. Go. Run. Flee. A choice many of our Brothers in Christ who have had to be refugees know all too well. What would you choose to take with you? You have to make a choice. The choice is yours, but you must choose. If all that you see in your life was suddenly revealed to be that which it is, nothing but the shifting sands reliable, perhaps for a time, but suddenly and swiftly shown to be Nothing to count on. Find time before the wind picks up or the tide comes in, but not that upon which you may build your life. The prophet Isaiah foresees such a choice coming to God's chosen nation, a choice of what will you take with you when the time comes when you must run. They believe this won't happen to them. They are so secure in their chosenness that they imagine that it could never happen to them. Even though it happened to Israel, it will not happen to Judah, they say. For we have the trinity of covenants. We have not only the Abrahamic and the Mosaic. We have the Davidic covenant. God's throne will be established forever. So we feel sorry for our cousins our neighbors to the north, but we ourselves will never be taken into exile. We are secure. So secure that we can ignore the God who made us those very promises. Oh, no, no, no. They don't stop keeping the feasts. They keep doing that. Well, they don't stop praying. Of course, they keep doing that. They just forsake caring for the oppressed. They just overlook the orphan they ought to look after. They just take the long way around so they don't have to see the widow who lives on that corner. See, they haven't stopped looking for God's blessing. They've just, they've just stopped looking for God. They haven't stopped seeking His mercy. They've just stopped seeking Him. And their hands have become bloody in the process. With one fist, they have a death grip on the branch. And with the other, they cling to a saw. And they are cutting themselves off from the tree of life from which their very life flows. And so God says, it's coming. He is coming. The day is coming. And all of you who have become enamored with human ingenuity with medical advancements, with, with technological prowess, 
You who are enchanted by power are about to see what power is. And for those of you who have been looking at the trees and the mountains and thinking of how big, how wonderful, how glorious they are, and not recognizing how infinitesimally small they are in regard to them, Him who made them, gird up your loins and lace up your best pair of running shoes. And for those of us who imagine that the ships of Tarshish or the nuclear submarine or the SpaceX rocket will save us, We've got another thing coming for those of us who see a vision of the towers of Babel or Manhattan or Dubai standing for all eternity. We're about to be revealed for how foolish that trust is. For those who trust in the divine right of kings or the brilliance of democracy or the invisible hand of the markets, get ready to run. And run not only to the hills, but into the hills. Do you see that? Enter into the rock. Go inside. Clamber into the cave. Get as deep into it as you possibly can. Isaiah continues in verse 20. He says, in that day, humanity will cast away all their idols of silver and all of their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship. They're going to cast them away to the rodents and to the bats. Do you see what's happening here? They've entered into the cave with all that they took with them. They have all of these things, their idols of silver and gold, their their most precious valuables, their treasures, their little nothing gods that are made out of jewels. And as they start to move further and further into the cave, they realize it's not going to fit. So either I stay here with it, or I drop it and go. And so they drop it, and they leave it. And they leave it to become that which it always was, little more than a receptacle for rat dung and bat feet. All that was previously precious, that was once only so recently revered, is revealed to be nothing to them. When I studied this passage the most in depth for the first time, I was in seminary and I remember studying it and then around the same time I saw this film for the first time, filmed by Andrei Tarkovsky, a film called Stalker, which is a terrible translation. It's more like a hunter. It's a very strange Russian word that we don't have a word for. If, some of you may remember we screened Andrei Tarkovsky's great film, Andrei Rublev, uh, two Holy Weeks ago, back when people screened movies and went to the movie theaters and <laughs> all those wonderful things that I hope will return one day. And that film I recommend to you highly right now because that film is, is about this. It's about the question of why would you make art in a world where things burn? In fact, why would you make anything, a culture, a family, anything, when everything we make can be consumed by flame? It's a great question. But the film Stalker asks a different question, and it is the question of desire. If any of you have read James K.A. Smith's book, You Are What You Love, he references this film quite often. 
And Smith is picking up on what Augustine would say, which is we are not fundamentally people who think, but people who love. And that very troubling thought, which is this, we don't know what we ultimately love. We don't know our deepest, most hidden desires. Do I really want justice? Or do I want to be seen as a person who is virtuous? people laud? Do I really want the kingdom? Or do I want some partisan utopian paradise proffered by this pundit on one side and that on the other? Am I really a son or daughter of the church? Or, or do I just love the political game of denominationalism on the one hand or cheap ecumenism on the other? Do I really love Jesus? or just some version of Jesus I've made up for myself. It is for this reason that Jesus tells His disciples, tells all who will listen, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. The sword for all those who wish to live at ease. The sword for the self-righteous and the self-satisfied. The sword for all of us all of us who are too easily pleased with anything less than the holiness, the righteousness, the beauty, and the glory of God. I have come to cut away all that would separate you, says Jesus. I have not come to bring peace for ease of mind. And no one will be left unscathed. And there will be a choice at the moment of crisis Will I stay here with all that I have made, all of these idols I have, all of the things that I once thought was so important? Will I stand here even as the ground opens up beneath me or will I run into the rock? And nothing, no boundary we set, cultural, denominational, racial, political, familial, will save us from that choice. Stalker, the film presents a similar choice. The stalker is leading these two men into a mysterious place called the zone where an even more mysterious place waits inside, a place called the room. And in that room, if you enter in, your deepest desire is granted you. I did not say your greatest wish is granted you. a genie that awaits you there and you say, this is what I would like. And the genie says, okay, sure thing. No, your deepest desire is granted you and it becomes terrifying to the individuals trudging into this zone that they don't actually know what their deepest desire is. It is hidden, they think, even from themselves. Hidden to be revealed at the crisis, at the judgment, to be revealed at last. Revelation. Tarkovsky is obsessed with Revelation almost as much as the Scriptures are. The Scriptures which constantly tell us are going to peel back the curtain, rip the veil, strip the outer flesh to show us that which is truly beneath the surface, that which is true. For Tarkovsky, pressure over time equals revelation. And so he has water all throughout this zone. You actually begin to feel it in your shoes as you watch the movie because it's everywhere and it's dripping down 
the walls and it's peeling away the facade and it's showing what's actually beneath the surface. Revelation is happening everywhere, all the time, to the place and to the people. And there's this one moment where Tarkovsky uses water, a kind of poetic aside, which he takes quite often, a, a divergence from the plot, where the camera moves for several minutes slowly over this very shallow pool of water where we can see everything beneath the surface. I want you to picture that. It's moving slowly, and, and at first it's very murky, and you can't really tell what it is, and you start to see objects. So there's a needle filled with narcotics or the latest medical advancement. Who's to say? Well, there's a machine gun. I see the trigger of a machine gun over there. Oh, there's coins littering the entire space, even a piece of the Ghent altarpiece floating there beneath the water. John the Baptist who points to Jesus floating there beneath the surface. And as this camera moves... Tarkovsky, and somehow he does this in a film funded by the Russian government in the 1970s, has his character quote Revelation in a voiceover. And listen to this, and see if it doesn't sound familiar. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the cave among the rocks of the mountains calling to the mountains of the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Who can stand? I remember watching this film and thinking, well, Tarkovsky would probably... He loved mystery so much, he'd probably rather me not say what I think is going on here, but that seminarian, fresh from studying Isaiah, could not help but see it clearly. There they are. There are the idols. There are all the things that we use and abuse, which use and abuse us, which pervert us. Even beauty. Even religious piety. All of it has been discarded, has been thrown away at last, has been cast away for perfect love, casts out fear, even fear of the sword. So that anything that we might love or respect or desire more than God, more than Jesus, who gave Himself up for us, is to be discarded. And I don't think it's an accident that Tarkovsky has all of these items waiting there beneath the water. For do we not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus were baptized into His death so that who we once were is not who we are now. It has been thrown away. These hurtful things. I'll never forget what my seminary professor said, my Old Testament professor, talking about Isaiah, he says, this moment in Isaiah 2, it seems like the worst news does not seem like you could in any way call it good news, but he said it is salvation. It is salvation because God has been calling to his people 
over and over and over again. Discard it. Get rid of it. Throw it away. Don't hold on to it. Leave the idols behind. And they would not listen until the moment of crisis comes and at last it is revealed, this cannot save me. And so they flee from that which they ought to have fled from long ago. And they let it go. But they don't only run from something. They run to something as well. They run into the rock. And who is this rock that hides them? And who is the rock that holds us if not God Himself? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So that what you are, you don't even know. And He will abide no other ultimate loyalties, friends. He will not take anything else. We're going to have to let it go if we're going to make it into the crack. We're going to have to throw it all away. It doesn't mean that we don't seek cooperation and hospitality, especially where matters of justice are concerned. But let us not forget that we are Jesus' people. It is not on us. It is Him. And whatever choice you've made, whatever desire you have, even if it needs to be redirected, it is less important than the choice He made. It is not ultimate. His desire outweighs our own. His desire for us. For when He was asked in the depths of death before He ascended to heaven, what would you take with you? He said all of it. I will draw the whole world to Myself and there is not one Adam in all of creation over which Jesus Christ does not declare Mine. It's big, but it's also small because He saw me and each and every one of you. He saw you. He made that choice and His desire outweighs yours. For though the prophet Isaiah sees the day of the Lord and John the Revelator speaks of another or perhaps a vision of the same. The Gospels tell us that there has already been a day of the Lord. When God assailed all that seeks to distort and destroy us, that seeks to control us, and to that rock called Calvary we run, and to the mount of Golgotha we flee. And it is the Spirit that holds us there and emboldens us to stand, not in our own strength, but in the strength of Him who was lifted high and of Him who was brought low so that He might fill all things. We must never forget that it is not on ourselves, not on our own ingenuity, not on even our own understanding of ourselves as chosen that we rely. It is on the faithfulness of Jesus that our whole life depends. And nothing can stand against Him. And nothing can keep you from Him. Never forget that it was crisis that drove you to Him. Never forget that the day of our baptism is a day against us as much as it is a day for us. It is a day of the Lord. 
When we say and proclaim with the church throughout time that on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. A day when we proclaim loudly to the world, the Lord is our defense and the Holy One of Israel is our King. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.